I've just enjoyed our whole Advent season with the readings that have come and the lighting and the different specials and music. It's just set such a great tone this Advent season uh, for preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of our Savior. We've been doing that also with the um, teaching and with this idea that Christmas was the time of the year that we can celebrate our worth. And that being because Christmas is the time when God looked at us and said, you are worth it all. That I'm going to send my only son for you because you have such high value in my eyes. You have such high worth in my heart that I'm going to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. I'm going to fix this problem. I want to reconcile this conflict. And I'm going to do it by the giving of my son because you were worth it all. And so we talked a bit about how as humans, we try to discover our worth. We try to seek our worth. We do that in the voices that we hear from others and maybe the voices that's in our own head, but that we should actually find our worth from God's voice. And that we try to find our worth from the words that are spoken to us or around us or the words we repeat in our own mind, but actually we should find our worth in God's words. And then last week we talked about that Oftentimes, our society and our culture puts a pressure on us that we should find our worth in the things that we're needing to accomplish, the things we're needing to attain, but that we shouldn't try to find our worth there because it's not found in what we need to accomplish. Our worth should be found in what God has already accomplished for us. And that when we discover that our worth and our value, and we find our self-confidence and our growing self-esteem, when those things are rooted in God, that sets us free from what our culture and our family and the voices around us want to tell us. It gives us the ability to deal with conflict and family, be generous, lay down our life, because what others say about us, what our culture demands of us, has no bearing on my worth. My worth has already been summed up in Christmas And that day is when God said, I was worth it all. And so that gives us a sense of freedom. It gives us an ability to walk into our workspaces, into our families, not looking to be validated to grow in our worth, knowing that we already have found our worth in Christ Jesus. And so this morning's our last talk on this idea of worth and this idea that Jesus would look at each of us and say, we were worth it all. And What I want to talk about this morning is this idea that the world wants us to find our worth in our status. The world wants us to find our worth in our status. And we know neuroscience by the name of Michael Gazinga has noted that when you get up in the morning, you do not think about triangles and squares and these similes that psychologists have been using for the past 100 years. You think about your status. You think about where you are in relation to your peers, between CEO and employee, quarterback and wide receiver, husband and wife, status looms large. We get stuck in this idea that we need to attain a certain status to determine our self-worth. And maybe we don't have to attain a super high status, but we just have to be better than our peer group. (laughs) And this probably hasn't been any more emphasized than when Facebook came on the scene and allowed you to tell everyone your status. In fact, you could tell your status regardless of what your status actually was or not. If you're feeling down about yourself, your status could say you're feeling really awesome about yourself. If you're in a position where you didn't have any money, you could fake that status and 
put forth on Facebook that you had a lot of money and start posting lots of random pictures of big cars that you might think you want, but maybe people think you have because you can put your status out there. And then everyone else would look at your status and the honest people would just get depressed because your statuses always seem so happy all the time and their statuses never felt that happy. Or maybe you felt that you weren't smart enough, so you would just put really complex YouTube links and videos on your status all the time, though you never watched them all the way through, and you never understood what anyone said. But you just wanted everyone to think that your status of intellect was really high. (laughs) And we live in a society today where we have so many mediums to communicate where we think our status is, and many times we're fronting a fake status for the deep sadness because we're not measuring up to a status we think we need to measure up to. We're not measuring up to a certain financial status or a certain relational status or a certain intellectual status or, or maybe even we're stuck in this status of our ethnicity and we can never get out of that status so we're <clears throat> trying to pretend we're something different than we are because our culture is constantly asking you what's your status be it relational, be it financial, be it educational. And so we live in this constant rat race, gerbil wheel that we're trying to arise and arrive with a certain set of statuses that will determine that we have value, that will determine that we have worth, that will determine that people should listen to us because of this status. Well, alas, the Bible has a lot to say about status. And in fact, Jesus came and gave up probably the highest status of all to take a very lowly status to let us know that now in him we have a very high status. And so the Bible has a lot to say about status. And so when I've gone through this idea of status, I kind of noticed that there are maybe three main um, trends within status that many of us think through and are cognitive of maybe have a massive impact on our life or a very light impact on our life. But these are three areas of status that I want to address and then talk about what God's word would have to say about that area of status. The first area of status I want to talk about is this idea of ethnic status or your ethnicity and how that determines your status in our culture. I spent a lot of years traveling and some years ago I spent several months in the country of Nepal. Paul's a beautiful country with several different tribes living there, mostly living in mountainous areas, though there is an area known as the Terai, which is very low around sea level and very hot. And Nepal kind of gets a lot of their worldview from the area, an area close by called India. And India and Nepal have this class system for their people, so everyone will know their value in society. And it actually goes according to their last name. Depending on your last name, that determines your status in the country. Let me explain how this plays out. So I was living in a village, and across the river from where I was staying were these people that would take big rocks and bang them together and make smaller rocks, and take smaller rocks and bang them together and make even smaller rocks, and take even smaller rocks and bang them together and make even tinier rocks. And every day I would see these people just out there crushing rocks, making them down to a shell form that people could come and take that and use it for roads and things like that. And I noticed while I was there, they even had little children doing that. So I asked some friends about why do they just go out there and bang rocks all day? And they say, well, that's their status. That actually their last name will only ever give them a job just like that. And that 
all of them and them bef- those before them and those after them, both grandparents and then young children, they will grow up knowing that in our society, they will only ever be able to bang rocks together. That they won't even think to dream or have good ideas. They won't even think to want to do anything else because they know in our society, because of their ethnicity, their last name, they will only ever be able to bang those rocks together. My heart was, how could I get to them and let them know that God had something different to say about their ethnic status? There's other people in the country of Nepal and India that have a different kind of last name, the last name of Brahmin. That determined their ability to automatically step into any white-collar job. That if they had that last name, it was like the highest of last names. You could either become a priest in one of the many thousands of temples or you could become a doctor and wealthy. That, that their last name, their ethnic status determined their place in society. Now in America, we don't have that level of ethnic status determining our self-worth. That because of my last name, I'll only be able to bang rocks together. But we do have a bit of a status according to ethnicity. And as we know, that that can be quite a hot topic oftentimes in our culture, not just in this time in our generation, but in all generations, it's a hot topic. I grew up with the last name Whitlock. It is about as white as you can get. (laughs) It literally means white lock for white lock of hair, okay? You don't get any whiter than that. Maybe Whitaker, I don't know. but (laughs) But I was adopted, so I was actually Hispanic. My mom was actually Puerto Rican, and my biological father, Italian. Now, if you go to New York, you will find loud people. They will either be Puerto Rican or Italian. (laughs) And because of that, there's a lot of pride that comes with their ethnic status. And specifically for Puerto Ricans, there's a very strong ethnic pride that comes with that. But because of that, Puerto Ricans sometimes can be looked down a little bit on in society because they just need to be quieter and work harder. (laughs) But they just like to be loud and boisterous. So as a kid growing up, I learned that I would be able to avoid any kind of conflict or judgment if I just leaned into my last name more and didn't let people know that I was actually Puerto Rican as well. Much to my family's demise, because everyone in my family celebrated being Puerto Rican. Flags all over the place, songs, arroz con gandules, you name it. And I just kind of was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But I did that because I didn't want to have to deal with that rub in society that my ethnicity would determine what my value was in my culture that my ethnicity would determine what I might do in my culture. I wanted to be free of that. It wasn't a sickening feeling. I didn't stay up all night, but I just slowly began to realize, hey, I don't want my ethnicity to determine my value, my self-worth in my culture. I want that to be determined by how hard I work or the things I accomplish. And to me, that was what America was for. But alas, ethnic status can play on our minds in our cultural moment, and our society might kind of have some unspoken things that determine for us what we're meant to do with our lives or what we're worth according to this ethnic status. Well, that was the same situation for Paul in the age of the New Testament. See, Jesus came from the Jews, and the Jews were the first to receive the gospel of the true Messiah. But then as Paul came along, that gospel wasn't meant for just the Jews. It was meant for everyone. But see, the Jews had an ethnic right to the story of Christ. The Gentiles did not, according to the Jews. So many would say that Paul's purpose in his ministry was trying to get the Jews and the Gentiles to work together to realize, hey, it's more than just being Jewish or non-Jewish. 
In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26, we'll see this. If you want, I'll take a moment while you open your Bibles and make a quick comment. The last couple weeks, I've messed up on the Bible verses. You may not have noticed. If you did, I wasn't trying to make up my own Bible. I just simply oftentimes write on paper my notes, and then when I transfer them to text on a piece of paper, I didn't take time to look them over. Major epic fail on my part, okay? I'm not a heretic. All right. If you have your Bibles open, we can read with me. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not trying to say there's no more gender. He's not trying to say there's no more ethnicity. And he's not trying to say that no one works anymore. That's what slaves did. In fact, at this time, slavery, most of the population was in slavery. About 85% of the population in the ancient world was in slavery. And at that time, slavery was a bit different. It was more like contracting yourself into work. Obviously, free people having a higher level of importance because the more slaves they employed showed their financial status, which we'll talk about in a moment. But what Paul's trying to communicate here is that this idea of Christ, that now being found in Christ, that that is the highest determination of our worth. It's no longer our ethnic background. It's no longer our social status. It's not even our gender. That now we put on Christ. And when we put on Christ, we put on the value that God sees him in. That God looked at his son as his most prized possession. And that, in that same way, now he looks at us. That it does not matter any longer our ethnic status. We can celebrate our individual cultures. We can celebrate our ethnicity. I'm not saying that. But your ethnicity does not determine your worth in the cultures that you live in. What determines your worth in the cultures you live in is that Jesus said you are worth it all. And that when we put him on like a new pair of clothes... It doesn't matter our ethnicity. We can step into any situation being called to it, regardless if our culture says our ethnicity should be working in that position or not. We can do the things God's called us to because our worth is not determined by our ethnicity. Our worth is determined by being found in Christ Jesus. The second form of status that I think we all probably know very well is our financial status. And we live in an area of America that we have the privilege of being with people who have built an area of an America with a drive for entrepreneurship, great ideas, business-minded, um, creation of wealth, that we live in an area that, that has this ability. Uh, but the weakness at times to that is where it, we find our worth in our financial status, not in Christ Jesus. My family and I decided a number of years ago for a while, for a period of time, well, let me, let me back up. My, my wife and I, when we first got married, we committed to each other that we would never be employed, we would just be called. And what that meant was we would never be driven by the next job to build our financial status. We'd be driven by what God was calling us to do. And if at times that meant that we were in a position where our financial status was great, that's awesome. But if at times that meant that we were going to live in a house in Hawaii with no running water and trees growing through the windows and rats eating our food almost every other day, then 
so be it. That we were going to do whatever God called us to do, irregardless of what financial status um, that made for us. Now, that sounded really good until we started having kids. <laughs> and then you start running, well, I got to feed these little humans. <laughs> and then you start thinking, well, I don't know, like, they're kind of the poorest kids and all their friends. Like, what, what do we do? And you start stressing out. And so I w- began stressing out when my kids were toddlers because I wanted to get more money to increase our financial status to make them find more worth in themselves. But of course, like any of us would probably say, you're only ever going to have what God really wants you to have. <laughs> and <clears throat> it never worked. I never got any higher financial status. But there was one day while I was working or doing my different things and thinking about this idea of wanting a greater financial status for my kids. And at the same time, wondering if how was I going to take care of my kids, where I felt God speak to me so clear. He said, Matt, do you realize that I actually love your kids more than you love your kids? And I thought about that. And it was like, it just resonated in my gut. And he kept repeating it to me. Do you realize, Matt, that I love your kids more than you love your kids? And I began to realize that God wants to care for my kids more than I even want to care for my kids. God wants my kids to have the things more than I want them to have. But maybe what I think they need to have, what God thinks they need to have might be different. And the fact that maybe we don't, maybe I'm not able to give them some things that I want them to have doesn't mean that that should determine their worthiness. And I think any one of us that's been in business for any length of time, I'm young, 40 years old, but I've seen some booms and some crashes in my time. And I've seen people with their finances get super pumped up. Facebook's blowing up with all the new cars they're getting. And then the crash happens and they're silent from Facebook. And depression sets in because why? Their worth was found in their financial status. But then you see the people that know the struggle of the crash, and it affects them, and it affects their families, and their sadness, but they still find joy. Why are they still finding joy? Because their worth wasn't tied up in their financial status. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, Jesus addresses this idea because in the Jewish culture, your financial status determined if God had favor on you or not. In fact, the Jewish culture celebrated people of wealth as though they had done something super special for God. And Jesus was coming to earth to kind of flip that on its head. He wants to show that it has nothing to do with how much money you have, but has everything to do with how much control you give God of your money. (laughs) Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him, said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now her two coins made up a very small percentage of what it took to just live for one day's worth of work. But that's all she had. And Jesus acknowledged it. In fact, he called his disciples over to make a teaching moment out of it. Why? Because Jesus is trying to communicate that your financial status doesn't determine your self-worth to others around you. But more importantly, your financial status doesn't determine your worth to God. (laughs) That even in your poverty, even in your brokenness, maybe even on all the debt you've got yourself in, that still doesn't determine your worth to God. 
Because Christmas says, even despite your financial status, you are still worth it all to Jesus. Thirdly and lastly, we could find our status and our ethnicity. We could find our status and our finances. And thirdly, we can find our status in our relationships. Probably one of the most transformational things Facebook ever did to the known world was give this idea that you could say that your relational status was complicated. I think that's answered so many questions for so many people at different points in their life. <laughs> they gave them the ability to say, listen, my, finan- my relational status right now, it's just complicated. And that made everyone go, okay, it's touchy. Let's not talk about it. For many of us, we've tried to define our worth by our relationship status, whether or not we're married or not, whether or not we have children or not, whether or not we've been divorced or not, whether or not we find ourselves caught in codependent relationships or not, whether or not we're caught in an abusive relationship or not. But we've allowed our relationship situations to define our status and in turn begin to define our very worth. I'm married. I love my wife. She's in many ways God's incarnate grace into my life. But my wife will never determine my self-worth. If she does, if I start leaning her into like that, I'm trying to make her my God. I'm trying to make her save me. My wife's a terrible God. (laughs) She can't do that for me. I have beautiful children. I look at them and I'm just amazed that God gave me them knowing the kind of child that I was. But if I look for their validation of my parenting in their life to be the termination of my self-worth, they're going to resent me for it. Because I'm going to constantly put on them to say things to me, do things for me, act a certain way to make me feel better about my relational status. But what's more important is that we don't find our value in our relational status of the human relationships here on earth. While they're good, they're beneficial, we want to be involved in them, we want to correct them, guide them, they create encouragement, life, they can create depression and sadness. But what we should never do is allow our relationship statuses to determine our self-worth. We should only allow one relationship status to to determine our self-worth. And that's our relationship status with our Father, our eternal Father. And he actually is really clear with us about his feeling towards us on our relationship. Psalms 139, starting in verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. This is the psalmist, psalmist talking to God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. I love this verse. They, that the thoughts of God would outnumber the grains of sand. Do you know that there's one billion grains of sand in a cubic foot of sand? And he's saying that the number of thoughts that God has towards you are way more than that. That while we try to be mindful of God, he's already mindful of us. His mind is full of thoughts for you and I. When we realize that because of Jesus, we can come before him and step right into that relationship. That's the only relationship status that, we should, that should ever determine our worth. And that has already been determined because on Christmas, Christ said, you are worth it all. So regardless of your situation, regardless of where you are, you already have the ability to stand knowing that God has deemed you worthy. And that should be the greatest 
sense of worth from any relationship. Obviously, we know that church creates an opportunity where all of us can come in from a variety of different statuses, a variety of different ethnic statuses, relational statuses, a variety of different financial statuses. But here's the thing. When we find our relationship status in God, the reason why church can exist, because it is the only place in all of the world where humans can come together regardless of their status and find unity. You know why? Because we're all unified around this one idea, that there's level ground at the foot of the cross. That church is the only place that will really ever find peace and love and generosity and unity. Because it's the only place that we can come and say, wow, I can stand shoulder to shoulder with anyone in any status at any point in society and know that we can find love for one another because there's level ground at the foot of the cross. That's why the church, you can maybe change its forms, you can reorder its structure, you can put a song here, a sermon here, a small group there, but you can't get away from it. (laughs) Because it's the only place that we will truly find our worth and truly find unity with other humans because there's level ground at the foot of the cross. Here's my encouragement to all of you in closing of this series. Jesus went to great lengths to come close to you. Will you go to great lengths to draw closer to him? Because when you do, you're going to find your worth greater than ever before. Because when you do, you're going to find your confidence greater than ever before. Because when you do, you're going to find new words to live your life according to, new voice to align your life with, new accomplishments to do. You're going to find that your status has no bearing on your relationship. Because when you choose to divert the energy you're putting into the world's ideas of your worth, to put that same energy to discover what Jesus has to say about your worth, you're going to find that you are worth it all.